welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the results and highlights from Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW, Dynamite, AEW, Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. But before I do that, if you could, please uh, subscribe to the channel. Well, subscribe to the well podcast if you could. Um, that would be greatly appreciated. And also give me some reviews on it. If you could like go through the star ratings and give me one star through five stars, either one, because when you do that, this does give um this does circulate in the analytics and allow people to see the podcast. That would be greatly appreciated and it will help me out in the future. So thank you. Now, without further ado, let's uh go on with the show. Raw this week was um it was all dedicated to John Cena's 20th uh, anniversary in WWE. This was literally his 20th anniversary. Monday Night Raw was the actual date of him being being brought in to WWE on the main roster. So they celebrated John Cena on Monday night. Uh, he would get various uh, video messages from different wrestlers, like from Booker T, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, uh, Randy Orton, Trish Stratus, and even some wrestlers that he faced in the past that are in different companies. AE like AEW. Uh, Big Show, who's there now. Daniel Bryan, who's brought down on us as a government name. Brian Danielson over there in AEW is also Chris Jericho. They would send over video messages to WWE. So that was a great thing to see. But um, as soon as Raw opened up, you got a video of John Cena walking backstage, shaking hands with wrestlers and backstage personnel and talking to cameramen everybody was showing his gratitude because again as i said this is john cena's uh 20th year in the wwe so this was his night and um that's what we start off Monday night raw with the first match of the night would be a last chance battle royal to enter the money in the bank and you will have riddle winning the battle royal when it came down to him and the miz and they were battling on the ring apron and riddle would hit the miz with an rko and miz would fall off and hit the floor. So Riddle has now entered the Money in the Bank ladder match. After this, we will have uh, Jay Uso with Jimmy Uso in his corner going against Montez Ford, who had Angelo Dawkins in his corner. And the stipulation for this match was winner picks the stipulation for their tag team title matchup at Money in the Bank. Montez Ford would win the match by pinfall when Montez would hit a frog splash on Jay Uso for the win. So Montez Ford has picked up a win on. Jay Uso. Angelo Dawkins has picked up a win on both of the Usos from my recollection. So it seems to me they want to give the Street Profits a lot of momentum going into Money in the Bank for the unified uh, tag team titles. I don't think they're winning. They could, but we will have to see when Money in the Bank comes around. After this, we would have The Miz coming out for her in-ring promo. And The Miz talks about how Logan Paul has uh, photos up on social media and Logan Paul tweeted out and tagged WWE with eye emoji saying that he's coming back to WWE. Miz would announce that him and Logan Paul will be returning as a tag team at SummerSlam. And the interviewer would ask Miz about attacking Logan Paul at WrestleMania. Miz would explain to the interviewer that he was teaching Logan Paul a lesson, basically don't upstage the superstar. And Miz would then turn his attention to AJ Styles, calling AJ a failure and every other type of name. AJ Styles would come out and he would just walk directly up into the ring, walk up to Miz, deck him right in the face, which would lead to the AJ Styles and Miz having a match with each other. AJ would win the match by countout when AJ was on the ring apron waiting for the Miz to get up so he could hit it with a phenomenal forearm, but Miz would slide out of the ring and start walking up the ramp as the ref counts him out. So 
AJ Miz are still going on this thing, and I probably might see this happening going into SummerSlam. At least that's what I think is leading into. Uh, after this, we will have Bianca Belair and Carmella having a face-to-face moment in the ring. Bianca Belair will start off with herself and interview in the ring. Bianca would wish that Carmella was out here so she could say what she had to tell Carmella to her face. Bianca will say that Carmella should have enough confidence to step up to her and say what she has to say instead of jumping her like she did last week. Bianca also would say that Carmella did that because Carmella has to do that because she is insecure and she doesn't truly know how great she is. Bianca says she sees how great Carmella really is and that isn't going to stop her from beating her at Money in the Bank and retaining her Raw Women's Championship. Bianca would tell Carmella that if Carmella thinks she has what it takes to take the championship away from her, why not do it right now instead of waiting for Las Vegas, Money in the Bank? Carmella will come out and Carmella will let Bianca know that she isn't insecure. She knows she's smart and she has it all. Carmella will get in the ring and read off her accolades to Bianca saying that she is a two-time Money in the, Women's Money in the Bank winner. She is a former SmackDown Women's Champion, also a former uh, Tag Team Champion. She would say that she's going to take the championship from Bianca because Mella is money. She would drop the mic, walk out of the ring, on the ring apron. Then she would try to get back in the ring and try to cheap shot Bianca from behind like she did last week. But Bianca was ready for it. She catches Carmella's foot. And then she forearms Mella in the face and Mella would roll out of the ring. So this is still building into their matchup at Money in the Bank this Saturday, basically tonight. After this, we will have Alexa Bliss going against Liv Morgan. With Asuka on commentary for the matchup, Liv Morgan would win the match by pinfall when Alexa was going for the DDT, but Liv would wrap her leg around Alexa's leg and move forward, and Alexa will fall on her back, and you will see Liv pin uh, Alexa to get the win. And it was a shocking pin, to be honest, because even Asuka was shocked by this because everybody would have thought that Alexa was going to win the matchup because Alexa kind of has higher ranking than Liv Morgan, even though the fans want to see Liv win the money in the bank and all this type of stuff. But we all kind of know Alexa has pull higher rank. So it was surprising to see Liv uh, win this matchup. After this, it was time for the celebration for John Cena. You see Mr. McMahon come out and he introduced John Cena. John Cena comes out, new t-shirt with the 20th anniversary on his logo, well, on his shirt, uh, the 8-bit style John Cena on his shirt with the 8-bit on the back with the different stages of Cena from his uh, earlier years, from his 2002 to Dr. Thugonomics to the uh, Super Cena to him right now on the back of the t-shirt, nice t-shirt, his Titan Tron had all his different uh, Cena t-shirt designs on it i really liked his titan tron if you can go back to youtube and look at cena walking out trust me you will see it good titan tron cena has some nice logos by the way too throughout his years when you look back at it just look at his logos of his t-shirt he always has spectacular logos i gotta admit that um superstars would be on the ramp they would clap it up for cena to come out cena would come down to the ring and he would slap hands with the wrestlers at the entrance stage Cena would get in the ring and he would start having fan having fun with the fans. Listen to the fans cheering him on, saying, Thank you, Cena, cheering for Cena. And Cena would even poke at the signs that the fans would uh lift up in the air. And Cena pointed at one of the signs that said, 20 years of jorts. And Cena said, Hey man, I didn't have any type of uh style. So I mean, what can you do? 
uh, Cena will say that he doesn't like celebrating things, and he mentions that it's because he likes to look into the future, but tonight isn't about that. It's about all of them. Cena would like to thank the fans, the audience, for allowing him to do this job for 20 years. The fans would then chant, thank you, Cena, back at Cena, and Cena would just stand there and hear that, and he would really appreciate that, and he would just hold his chest, and he would tell that his heart is beating extremely rapid right now. And Cena would say that WWE has made him a better man. Because of you, I am a better professional. Because of you, I am a better husband. Because of you, I am a better person. Being in the WWE and spending moments with the families I spent today have taught me empathy, have taught me caring, have taught me kindness. You guys sure as hell have taught me humility. And you've taught me perseverance. You have drilled into my head that every single time you step in this ring, you give nothing less than all you have because every single time you come into the arena, you shower us with everything you got. Cena would then move over into him saying that he's 45 years old, so he doesn't know when he'll be back in the ring, but he does let the fans know that it will happen and it will be more than one more match, he assures them that. And as John was finishing off his monologue to the fans, he would let them, he would ask of them one thing. If there's one thing they could do for him, he asks them to do this one thing. So I'm asking you tonight, I'm asking you tonight, you have made me who I am today. Going forward, if you see something that's good, say something. If you see something that sucks, say something, because this is never, ever been about me this has always been about us so that was the celebration of john cena monday night raw he leaves the ring he starts walking up the ramp giving his armbands to children and takes an off his shirt and throwing it into the crowd and walking over to a section and then like standing right there looking into the camera just having his arms out and just putting a shrug in his shoulders like what more can you do and Cena's just happy to do this. Cena has always been that guy, but I'll get more to Cena and my appreciation of Cena towards the end of the episode. Uh, after this, we will have a handicap matchup of Alpha Academy going against Bobby Lashley with Theory as the special enforcer for the matchup. Lashley would win the match by pinfall when Lashley would catch Gable in midair and lock him in the hurt lock and Gable would tap out. After the match, Theory would attack Lashley from behind and begin to stomp him out. Alpha Academy would join Theory as well, and Theory would go out to get his phone to take a selfie. Lashley would break away from the grips of Alpha Academy and kick Theory. Otis would then get hit with a forward STO from Lashley, and then Lashley would spear Gable. And Lashley was set up to spear Theory, but Theory would leave the ring and then walk through the crowd. And again, this is building up into Lashley's match with Theory at Money in the Bank. After that, we will have a Cody Rhodes uh, interview. This is now them playing a video of Cody at his uh, rehabilitation facility. And Cody would mention that he would have loved to have been in the Money in the Bank match. But because he is out right now, he's on the shelf. He mentioned that he's going to have to respect the doctor's opinion of him having to be out for nine months for recovery. And he's going to try to respect that. But I have a feeling that he's going to come back quicker than expected. Again, I have a feeling he's going to come back 
probably around the time of Royal Rumble. That's just me. Cody would then start to list off the participants in the Money in the Bank. He would list off all the participants. And then when it got to Seth Rollins, Cody would then start talking about what if Seth Rollins begins to win the Money in the Bank contract. And then you have Seth frickin' Rollins. The man responsible for the most successful cash-in in the history of the company. Wouldn't that be something, right? If history was to repeat itself. If Seth Rollins was to grab the briefcase, more specifically the contract inside of it, one that has eluded me my entire career. If he was to cash in and to become the undisputed WWE Universal Champion, wouldn't that be something? I'm not rooting for anybody, but if Seth takes the win, well, I think I'd be the first to congratulate him. That would be the end of the Cody Rose interview. And I have a feeling Cody is going to kind of hope that Seth wins because if Seth wins, Seth gets to cash it in. And what would be the ultimate revenge and ultimate sweetest form of revenge for basically helping add more time to your shelf life than to take the title away from you whenever you come back from injury. So I have a feeling that's what Cody's kind of underlining, waiting and hoping that what happens at Money in the Bank. Uh, after this, it's time for the main event of Monday Night Raw. Six-woman elimination, last chance matchup to enter the women's Money in the Bank uh, match. It is Becky Lynch going against Shayna Baszler, going against Zia Lee, going against Tamina, Dewdrop, and Nikki A.S.H. Becky and Dewdrop will be the last two participants in the matchup, and Becky would win the match by pinfall when she eliminated Dewdrop when she hit a super... Uh, manhandle slam on Dewdrop. They were on the second turnbuckle and she hit the manhandle slam off the second turnbuckle. And that's how she beat Dewdrop to win. And now Becky is a part of the women's Money in the Bank matchup. So that was the end of Raw. Now, on to NXT. A couple things to note. During this episode of NXT, there will be two matches that would be announced for next week's uh, special edition of NXT, the Great American Bash edition. It will be Wesley going against Trick Williams and Wendy Chu going against uh, Tiffany Stratton. Now onto the results. First match of the night was Caden Carter and Katana Chance going against Cora Jade and Roxanne Perez. With the stipulation was the winners will face the toxic attraction at the Great American Bash next week for the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships. Roxanne and Cora would win the match by pinfall when Caden and Katana had Roxanne in position to hit their tag finish, which is a neckbreaker 450 combo. But Cora will pull Caden out of the ring, and this would allow Roxanne to grab Katana and hit Pop Rocks, which is the code red, on her and pin her for the win. So Cora Jade and Roxanne are facing Toxic Attraction next week. And also, they did announce on commentary that. Even though Roxanne did win the breakout tournament and she has an opportunity to face any championship that she champion that she wants, she still has that uh, contract. She still has that opportunity. She is not using that on this. She's just going to have that in her back pocket. So just to get that out the way. After this, we will have the matchup of Giovanni Vinci going against Ikaminjiro. Giovanni would win the match by pinfall when he hits Euro with a high elevated powerbomb for the win. Again, this was a uh, matchup just to showcase Giovanni, or formerly known as Fabian Eichner, on the NXT brand and his new rebranding as this Italian uh, stallion type guy. So, again, this was their, uh, again, another reintroduction, another 
style match for him just to get his stuff off and showcase what he truly can do. After this, we will have Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes in the backstage getting interviewed. And Carmelo would be asked about him retaining his championship last week over Tony D'Angelo. And then you would see Grayson Waller pull in with items. Grayson would ask Melo, can he sign some of these items? Because he has friends and family back home that are fans of Melo's. Melo's will look at Grayson and say, yeah, I'll sign, I'll sign it because you took care of Solo last week. So Melo will sign a basketball, some 8x10s, and a paper and while Melo was signing the paper, he doesn't read the paper because he's paying too much attention to Grayson Waller's necklace. And Grayson will quickly get out of the way after Melo signed the paper. And, and you would see Grayson tell Melo that he's the man. And then he walks away. Later in the night, as Melo and Trick were heading out of the arena, Melo was caught up with the interviewer. And Melo was informed that he will be facing Grayson Waller next week at Great American Bash for the North American Championship. Melo says that he never okayed this, and then Trick would realize exactly what happened. He told Melo about the paper that he signed earlier from Grayson, and Melo would declare that Grayson might have got him this week and tricked him, but next week, Melo is going to walk out still the A champion. So there you have for that. Grayson Waller will be going against uh, Melo for the North American Championship next week at the Great American Bash. After this, we would get a video playing of Josh Briggs and Brooks Jensen winning the NXT UK Tag Team Championships last week on NXT UK. And then we would see Briggs and Jensen come down to the ring to talk about it. They mentioned how they traveled across the pond last week and won some tag team gold. And they give a shout out to Ashton Smith and Oliver Carter. Uh, they were the NXT UK Tag Team Champions who had to get relinquished their belts because Ashton Smith uh, ruptured a ligament and he required surgery so that's why they had to vacate it and uh Briggs and Jensen won the tag team titles in a fatal four-way matchup in the NXT UK episode last week watch that on Peacock um they would shout out Smith and Oliver and tell them that injuries are a part of the game and they know all this so when they are all healed up they're waiting for them to challenge them for the belts whenever they're healed up Brooks Jensen would then look over at Josh Briggs and he would thank Briggs for choosing him as a tag partner because he remembers when Briggs first met him and he's told him that he had a whole lot of potential and just stick with him. He'll meet it. And he thanks him for just sticking with him and being a tag partner. So they hug each other and they declare that it's time to drink some beers. And then Pretty Deadly will come out to play haters. Spoilers. They will make it clear that they want a shot at the tag titles because they want to make the the tag titles gorgeous again instead of it being in some dirty Hicks hands. Then you would get a brawl between both teams. Briggs and Jensen would get the better of Pretty Deadly. And the match was not confirmed, but more or less it will probably happen after the Great American Bash. After this, we would have a one-on-one -on -one competition between Indy Hartwell and Kiana James. Kiana would win the match by pinfall when Indy would look to hit her springboard elbow drop on Kiana. Bubba Kiana would move out of the way. Kiana then would sweep the legs of Indy and pin her while having her feet on the ropes. While the referee doesn't see this, the referee counts to three. So Kiana has a win on Indy Hartwell. After this, they play a video of Tony D'Angelo and Stax standing on the bridge and you hear something drop in the water. Tony is then seen holding a gold watch and a black jacket 
this is how they're killing off the character of Two Dimes. As I mentioned, uh, Two Dimes got released because uh, he failed a WWE policy. So that's what's happening here. Tony would give the reasoning for this, and he would say that I gave you the world, and you try to take the chair away from me. Again, Tony D'Angelo is a mob boss, so that goes in the whole realm of the character of mob bosses type deal. He would then throw the gold watch into the river, well, into the water, and then you would hear Tony's phone ring, and he picks it up, and it's Santos on the phone. Santos would taunt Tony by asking, is this the new North American champion? Tony would get so upset and he would throw his phone into the water and he would tell Stax that he's tired of Santos and you would see Stax and Tony like walk away on the bridge. So I see we're not going to end the whole Tony D'Angelo and uh, Santos feud. And surprisingly to me, Tony D'Angelo is fine. So it must have not been like a major injury. He probably just got like the wind knocked out of him or something. It wasn't like a major big thing. It was reported that he got injured during NXT Live events two weeks ago, but as the video showed, nah, he walked fine, he talked fine, he didn't have a cast on, so uh, we'll see what happens later on in the future with that. Uh, after this, we have a six-man tag matchup. Diamond Mines, Roderick Strong, and the Kree Brothers with Ivy Nile and Damon Kemp in their corner, going against Joe Gacy and the Dyad. This is a C which stable has uh, more cohesion and supremacy over the other. Gacy and the Dyads would win the match by pinfall thanks to a disagreement between Roderick Strong and the Creeds. When Julius had the match won, he hit one of the Dyads with an Oklahoma slam, and he was ready to hit him with a sliding clothesline, his finish. Roddy would tag himself in and hit the Dyad with a jumping knee. Julius would argue with Roddy about him tagging himself in. Roddy would tell him that he's the leader of this group, and Julius needs to listen to them, listen to him. And then you would see Joe Gacy try to hit uh, then with a springboard clothesline, but Brutus would get in the way and shoulder tackle Joe Gacy. Roddy would then get upset with Brutus and tell both of the Creeds that they need to go back to the corner and listen to him. So they do this, and then you see the Dyads get Roddy, lift him up for an elevated DDT, hit him with it, and pin him for the win as the Creeds were standing on the ring apron watching all this happens. You see the Creeds, like, get a lot of upset. They're starting to get real upset with Roddy constantly, and this would go into the backstage area where Diamond Mine will be in the back. The Creeds would be upset at Roddy. Roddy would be upset at the Creeds for not listening at, listening to him. So this will lead to Roddy basically telling the Creeds that next week they're going to learn a lesson when him and Damon are going to take the tag titles away from them next week in a tag team matchup. So, we get the tag team matchup next week. It's been announced and it's been official. Next week, the Creed Brothers will be going against Roderick Strong and Damon Kemp for the NXT tag titles at the Great American Bash. After this, we will have Sangha going against Zion Quinn. Sangha would win the match by pinfall when he chokeslammed Zion for the win. It was two big dudes beating up on each other. What more can you say? After this, we have the returning Nikita Lions going against Mandy Rose, who had Tosk Attraction in her corner. Nikita would win the match by disqualification when Nikita was in control of the matchup, and Gigi and JC would get in the ring and attack her. The referee would call for the bell. You would see Gigi and JC hold Nikita so Mandy could slap Nikita in the face and start shouting at her. 
Roxanne Perez and Cora J would run into the ring, and this one, Gigi and JC would leave the ring, leaving Mandy by herself, and you see Roxanne and Cora hit Mandy with a double super kick. Gigi and JC would then pull Mandy out of the ring, and you would see them holding their championships. You see Toxic Attraction all holding their belts, and you see Roxanne and Cora start pointing at the tag title, saying they're going to take them home next week. So again, this is still building into next week's episode, and more or less, I probably see Roxanne and Cora going into the match with Nikita in their corner, going against Gigi and JC, who has Mandy in their corner, and we're probably going to get new tag team champions next week. If not, I'll be shocked by that. Then it gets to the main event, uh, face-to-face confrontation. Cameron Grimes, face-to-face with the NXT champion Braun Breaker. Again, this is building up to their matchup next week at the Great American Bash. Braun tells Cameron that he has defended this championship against various wrestlers, and he tells Cameron that he's different because he knows Cameron's going to bring the fight to him and he's going to leave everything that he's got in the ring. Cameron would tell Braun that, you know what, I hear you, but what's what what is this to you? This is just another championship matchup to you. Because you know what, if you happen to lose this championship, what's the worst that's going to happen to you? What, you're going to get called up to Raw or SmackDown? Shoot, if you lose the championship, shoot, you might make it on SummerSlam. For me, it's completely different. I lost my North American championship, and I didn't go back for that championship. I put all my chips in the middle, and I'm going after this championship because there is no backup plan for me. This is what I've always wanted to do. This is it. Unlike you, who this wasn't what you wanted to do. This was your backup plan. So now we get Cameron going into the personal bag with... Braun Breaker, and he talks about how Braun wanted to be an NFL player and how that dreams got dashed away when the Baltimore Ravens called him up and told him that uh, he wasn't good enough to be a football player. So that's when Braun made the call to his father to say, get me into WWE. So Cameron is playing the whole uh, father, you were uh, nepotism card. Braun said, wow, I did not expect that from you. I thought this was all about respect, but the respect is going out the water. Listen, you're not going to beat me for this championship next week because I'm simply better than you, okay? So they start getting into this back and forth, and you start seeing Cameron really start getting underneath the skin of Braun Breaker when he tells him, listen, you don't have heart. You don't have enough heart as I do because you know what? You weren't born with it. It's genetics, and you don't have it in you because your father didn't have heart. Your father wasn't a world champion. And he's about to say something again about Braun's father. And Braun just grabs Cameron by the throat and lifts him up in the air in the gorilla press. And you see him, he's about to do his gorilla press uh, power slam. But Cameron gets out of it and he just shoves Braun's shoulder first into the turnbuckle. And he shoves him hard to the point that it leaves a bruise on Braun's shoulder. So Cameron Grimes lifts him up again. He throws him into the turnbuckle again. This time, the turnbuckle explodes. It pops off the top. The top turnbuckle pops, and the ropes comes down. And now, Braun is just holding his shoulder, and you see referees and medical personnel come down to the ring to look at Braun. And Cameron Grimes, realizing this, he walks over and just sits right next to Braun and seeing if he's okay. And he starts telling the people, make sure he's okay. Make sure he's okay. Because he got a match next week. And Cameron tells Braun, I might not can't beat you at 100%, but it seems to me you're not at 100%. Take care. I'll see you next week. And as Cameron leaves the ring, he constantly tells the referees to 
make sure he's 100%. Make sure he's 100%. So Cameron Grimes has become completely obsessed with the NXT Championship. And I like this version of Cameron Grimes. This is more serious. This is not the whole play-play, going to the moon type Cameron Grimes. No, this is the serious Cameron Grimes that we need to see out of him. And I can't wait to see that match next week at the Great American Bash. Uh, so that was your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, moving on to AEW Dynamite, this episode was the highly anticipated Blood and Guts. That is the main event of the uh, show, but before I get into the results of what happened, um, during the show, they would show a backstage uh, segment between Scorpio Sky and Warlow, and the main gist of that is that next week on Dynamite, we will be getting a street fight for the TNT title between Scorpio Sky and Warlow. Now, the first match to kick off Dynamite would be Orange Cassidy going against Ethan Page, who had Dan Lambert in his corner. Orange Cassidy originally had the best friends in his corner, but Dan Lambert would pitch a fit to the referee saying that they needed to have referees licenses to be out here, and he wanted them to show it to the ref. And since they don't have them, the referee would have to kick them to the back. But that wouldn't matter. Orange Cassidy would win the match by pinfall when Dan Lambert was on the ring apron, and Orange Cassidy would look at Dan and act like he was going to punch him. But instead, he took his orange juice from him and took a sip out of it. Orange Cassidy then will look over at Ethan Page, hit him with two orange punches, which is the Superman punch, then spit the OJ into Dan Lambert's face, and then scoop slam Ethan Page for the win. That was the story of this whole matchup. Ethan Page was the big man. Uh, orange Cassidy was the guy that kept on trying to scoop slam him, but every time he tried, it will always be a fail. So in the end, he was ultimately able to scoop slam Ethan Page after nailing him with two orange punches to get the win. Entertaining matchup between Ethan Page and Orange Cassidy. After the match, you would get the best friends to come out and hug Orange Cassidy in the middle of the ring because that's their deal. Uh, I like the tracksuits that the best friends were wearing, the whole tie-dye uh, tracksuits. I really do like those outfits. Uh, after this, we had Christian Cage come out, and he was supposed to wrestle, but he doesn't. Instead, he talks to Tony Schiavone. He mentions that he was told by upper management to come out and apologize about what he said about Jungle Boy's family, especially his dad, last week. But instead of apologizing, he continues to run down Jungle Boy's family. He says that he's sorry everybody in his family isn't dead. Well, except for his mom, who he says, give him a call, and he makes the hand gesture for it. Christian does mention that he did request a match, but he didn't say it was for him. Then you will hear dinosaur roars go off in the arena and then out walks out Luchasaurus with all black gear, black mask, black beard. I mean, black tongue, black just gear, all blacked out, no colorful Luchasaurus. So it seems to me Luchasaurus is now with Christian Cage. So Christian Cage will be managing Luchasaurus in this matchup against Serpentico. This was a quick squash matchup when a squash is basically your there, there's a smaller guy or enhancement talent guy getting beat up by the star or the wrestler that they're putting the shine on, the spotlight on. And the spotlight for this matchup is Luchasaurus. Luchasaurus would win the match by submission when he locks in the snare trap, but he applies a pinched nerve hold onto Serpentico, and Serpentico taps out. After the match, Christian would tell Luchasaurus to attack Serpentico, in which he does by choke slamming him onto the outside of the ring. So Christian is now with Luchasaurus, and it seems to me Luchasaurus is now just going to be doing the dirty work of Christian going forward. Unleashed 
until Luchasaurus comes into contact with Jungle Boy, and we know we're going to get a matchup between those two before Jungle Boy gets to Christian. That's where the story is being told right now. After this, we would get the trios matchup, or better known as a six-man tag. Uh, Max Caster and the Gun Club, Austin Gunn and Colton Gunn, who are managed by Billy Gunn and Anthony Bowens, who is still in a wheelchair at this time, going against Danhausen and two mystery opponents who Danhausen happens to pull out, and they happen to be FTR. Danhausen and FTR would win the match by pinfall when Danhausen had Austin Gunn on his shoulders and he was getting ready to hit him with the GTS, but Billy Gunn would grab the referee and distract her. This would allow Anthony Bowens to get into the ring and he was about to hit Danhausen with his crutch, but misses and instead hits Austin Gunn. This would allow Danhausen to pin Austin for the win. And after the match, you see Billy Gunn and Colton Gunn look at Anthony Bowens while he's trying to explain himself for being in a wheelchair for all these weeks, because Anthony Bones at the time he was injured and he couldn't compete. So now it seems to me that he's fine. And he was uh, milking that injury for some time. Now we don't know how long, but it seems to me that he was milking it. Uh, Max Caster would go over to Austin gun to see if he's okay, but Austin would push him. So this will lead to Billy Gunn trying to calm down his son, Austin gun, but that doesn't happen. And instead he ends up, pushing Austin and happens to yell at him and this leads to Austin Gunn and Colton leaving the ring and they just look at Billy as you see Billy standing in the ring and Anthony Bones is trying to tell Billy that he didn't mean all this he he didn't mean to hit his son and Billy looking at him tell him I know we're good and Billy ends up hugging the acclaim so it seems to me we're getting that friction of Billy Gunn choosing the acclaimed over his sons I don't want to see this super funny like group and personally, I like the acclaimed, the gun club being together. They're a unit of guys that are on the rise of AEW. The acclaimed are already there. They are loved by the fans. They're loved by the people. The gun club, they are loved by the people in the back. You see wrestlers keep on tweeting out how the gun club or the future of the business, they have a whole lot of potential. I like to see this super unit still stick together. I hope this is just a little dissension, nothing that will lead to a big, like, blow-off. At least, not right now. Because it's still fresh, in my opinion. Uh, after this, we will get the TBS Championship Open Challenge matchup of Jay Cargill with Stokely Hathaway and Kiara Hogan in her corner going against Lila Gray. Jade would win the match by pinfall when Jade would hit Lila with the pump kick or... People know it as the bro kick and then hit her with Jaded for the win. After the match, Jade would tell Stokely that she is tired of women being, and this is her words, bitchy, and she wants competition. Jade would then hand the mic back to Stokely. Stokely would say that he knows why Jade is like this. is because she had an open challenge last week, and a person that isn't even signed to this company took advantage of that challenge. And instead of the women in the back, Stokely would point out and call out Chris Statlander and Athena telling them that they aren't being overlooked. They are just lazy. So this would bring out Athena and Chris Statlander to run to the ring and brawl with Jade and Kiara Hogan. A camera shot would see Stokely leave the ring and he would help a uh, Layla Gray up to her feet. And then the camera shot would go back to Chris Statlander holding Jade as Athena's on the top rope. Well, top turnbuckle ready to hit her finish the O face on Jade. But then you see Lila Gray run up on the stairs and then push Athena off the turnbuckle. Lila would get in the ring and start stomping on Chris Statlander while Kiara Hogan would super kick Athena. 
Stokely would get in the ring, and Lila would then look at Stokely and extend her hand out to Stokely. And as Stokely's about to ex- like extend his hand out to shake her hand, Jade would step in between them and look at Lila and just start yelling at her, and then leave the ring with Kira Hogan and Stokely Hathaway. So, Lila Grace trying to join the baddies. That's the story that we, I think we're trying to go here. Because Red Velvet's out with an injury right now, so they need another person to kind of take up that role that Red Velvet uh, had at the time. And personally, I have no problem with Lila Gray taking the spot. Because Lila Gray has been on like AEW programming, whether it be Dark, Dark Elevation, Rampage, and Dynamite, like for the past couple months now. And she looks like she looks like she could fit the part. She looks like she could be part of the baddies. She won't outshine Jay Cargill. If anything, we'll probably get some like dissension later in the faction between like the baddies and Jade down the line. But right now, with Red Velvet being out, I can see Lila Gray taking uh Red Velvet's spot for now until Red Velvet comes back. But it seems to me that we're probably gonna get that story of Lila Gray trying to prove herself to Jade so she could earn that spot of uh, baddies position. Now it's time for the main event, uh, Blood and Guts. For people that don't know what Blood and Guts is, it's basically War Games, just without the name, because WWE owns the name of War Games. Two wrestling rings side-by-side with a steel cage covering both uh, rings. And how the match goes, one man from each team start the match up, and after four minutes, another man enters, and then until every uh, person has entered the ring inside the cage, and then that's whenever the actual match begins. And the only way to win said matchup is by submission or by making your uh, opponent forfeit or surrender. So, Blood and Guts would consist of the Jericho Appreciation Society, which is Jericho, Chris Jericho, uh, 2.0, Sammy Guevara, Jake Hager, and Daniel Garcia. Going against Eddie Kingston, John Moxley, Santana, Ortiz, Willa Yuta, and the dynamite debut of Claudio Castagnoli. Uh, Claudio would win the match for his team by making Matt Menard, one half of 2.0, tap out in a sharpshooter on the top of the cage. At the same time, you see Eddie Kingston having Chris Jericho in the stretch plum muffler, and once the bell goes off, Eddie has a disappointed look on his face that he didn't get to tap Jericho out. So Jericho gets to escape by having somebody else tap out. Eddie is still, he, he didn't, he was able to swallow his pride because Eddie's a real, real prideful man. Because when you look at it, you can see him having to swallow it because Claudio got the win. It was all about winning for everybody else. But for Eddie is real personal because Chris Jericho has been a real pain in his side ever since uh i believe revolution so that's always been a thing for him and with him not getting jericho to tap out that's kind of a sour taste in eddie kingston's mouth but he was able to swallow it um couple highlights from this blood and guts matchup both members of 2.0 were absolutely bloody matt menard he took a lot of pain in this matchup he got uh stabbed in the head with um steak skewers like you know you put them on steaks like the skewers that you put uh steak kebabs and all that type of stuff john moxley he had like a couple of them in his hand and i mean he just packed them into his head uh john moxley also hit matt menard with an x-plex which is basically a suplex but a release suplex 
and Matt Menard landed in thumbtacks, and his back was covered in thumbtacks. Also, as I said, he was bleeding badly. His tag partner, Angelo uh, Angelo Parker, he was bleeding tremendously. I mean, his whole face was covered in blood. His chest was covered in blood. He was hanging upside down at one point on the outside of the cage. I mean, that was a real graphic shot that AEW got of that. Um, John Moxley being put in the walls of Jericho in the thumbtacks by Chris Jericho. Eddie Kingston actually actually uh, entering the match last and the fans chanting loudly for him because they knew Eddie was going directly for uh, Chris Jericho. Claudio Castagnoli and Jake Hager having a stare down with the people chanting, we the people acknowledging Claudio and Jake Hager's former time as a tag team in WWE as uh, the Americans. Like I said, they got their water cut real quickly in WWE because that tag team could have went somewhere, but again, cut them. Uh, also, finally, Eddie Kingston throwing Sammy Guevara off the top of the cage through a table. So they made up for their mistake last year with Blood and Guts where MGF pushed Jericho through the ring, well, not through the ring, off the cage onto the stage, but you saw that he didn't go through the stage. He went through some type of uh, padding, and the camera shot showed like the padding, so it wasn't that devastating of a... Uh, devastating of a maneuver as they wanted it to come off on television while this time nah they scrapped all that just throw him off the cage onto a table and break it so sammy guevara had to feel that uh also claudio did his whole uh big superhero swinging of chris jericho on top of the cage that was in my opinion the highlights of the matchup one one downfall in the matchup was santana santana he got injured in the matchup it has something to do with his legs or knees, one or the two, because when he tried to hit Daniel Garcia with a Uranagi, um, I think his leg gave out. They made note of it on commentary, and Santana was basically just laying on his laying on his stomach next to the cage all throughout that whole time of his time of entering blood and guts to that move, and then after that, he laid right on the floor next to the cage so nobody could stomp on him or anything else, so everybody would know that he's legitimately injured. Don't touch him. So, uh, again, Blood and Guts was good. I didn't like that Santana got hurt. Nobody will ever want to see a wrestler get hurt in their job of what they're doing. But as they always say, wrestling isn't ballet. You're bound to get injured and get hurt in this line of work. So I'm wishing Santana a speedy recovery. I'm hoping that this doesn't take him out all the way because Santana hasn't been on AEW Dynamite for some time. He's just been off television. He's always been Ortiz in it seems to me this is where it's going to constantly go right now. If Santana's going to be out for some time, it's going to be probably just Ortiz teaming up with Eddie Kingston. Since John Moxley's with the Blackpool Combat Club and he got his own thing, Kingston's going to have to need somebody. And it looks like him and Ortiz probably will be like a buddy-buddy situation until Santana comes back. But uh, Blood and Guts, nice show. AEW Dynamite, it, everything uh, flew right past. It was a real easy watch. I'm telling you, watch a Blood and Guts match. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. I don't care how you see it. You can try to see if they got it on YouTube. You can go if you have a, a dish or whatever cable provider you got. See if uh, AEW Dynamite's on uh, their on-demands and see if you can watch it that way. I mean, I really implore you, please watch the Blood and Guts match. It is real bloody, real uh, satisfying if you are into that type of thing. And me, since I 
was born in 96 and I saw the TLCs and I saw the early 2000s of everybody just bleeding. I'm kind of used to that. And it was just something that was kind of missing in today's market of wrestling. I enjoyed Blood and Guts thoroughly. So that's my review of uh, AEW Dynamite. Now off to Impact Wrestling. Impact will open up with a recap of what happened last week. Uh, the Briscoes basically being taken out by Honor No More. So they will be taken out of the 10-man tag matchup that's supposed to happen at Against All Odds. So right now, James Storm and the Good Brothers and Chris Harris are backstage. And they're trying to figure out who their two other members of their team are going to be since the Briscoes got taken out. Uh, the Good Brothers ask James, are you sure about this? He tells them that it's a bad idea, but it's the best kind of bad idea. So you see James, the Good Brothers, and Chris Harris walk over to PCO, who's by himself. And James tries to recruit PCO into joining them against Honor No More. He mentions how last week Honor No More talked to PCO like he was a thing instead of a person. And as this was going on, you would see Vincent walk up on them. And he says to James and the Good Brothers that the PCO isn't joining them. As a matter of fact, he'll be joining me tonight to go against the Good Brothers for the Impact Tag Titles. So we get that match for tonight. After this, we had a fatal four-way matchup where the winner faces Mike Bailey at against all odds for the Exhibition Championship. We had Steve Macklin going against Trey Miguel, going against Chris Bay, going against Laredo Kid. Trey Miguel would win the match by pinfall when Trey would run towards Chris Bay and Bay would pop him up in the air and Miguel would hit Chris Bay with the Meteora for the win. A uh, great fatal four-way between all four of these guys. Anybody could have. Uh, won this matchup, but Trey Miguel won. I'm just wondering what they're trying to do with Steve Macklin because on commentary, they mentioned how Steve Macklin's been having a good run of it as of lately. He's uh, beating some of the top stars. He's beating guys, and it seems to me that they want to do something with him, but they're trying to like stall it out until Josh Alexander's kind of done with Violent by Design. That's what I think we're doing with Steve Macklin until Josh is done with VBD, but we'll see later down the line. After this, we will have a matchup between Giselle Shaw going against Rosemary, who had Taya Valkyrie in her corner. And the influence was on commentary for this matchup. The reason why we have this match is because last week, Giselle Shaw walked up on the influence and she talked to them asking, can she join the influence right now? Because Madison Rain kind of got a broken nose at the moment and they made a proposition to her. They said they'll think about it if they take if she takes care of Rosemary for them. So Giselle uh, agrees to it, so that's the reason why we have this match right here. Giselle would win the match by pinfall thanks to distraction from the influence. The influence would leave the commentary table. You see Madison walk over and distract the referee as Tennille throws Taya into the ring post. Rosemary would see this, and now Rosemary can't do much about it, so she decides to continue her focus on Giselle and runs over, tries to hit her with a spear. Giselle would see this coming, and as soon as Rosemary is coming close, she would knee Rosemary in the face, dropping Rosemary, and then pinning her for the win. The influence would get in the ring, and you would see Giselle start beating up more on Rosemary after the match, and then you would see the influence joining on beating up on Rosemary. Giselle would throw Rosemary out of the ring, and then you would see the influence walk over to Giselle and raise her hand in victory. So it seems to me that Giselle is adjacent part to the influence I don't know if that's going to last long because all of them love and crave the spotlight. So um, this will probably be a short alliance. After this, we had a one-on-one -on -one matchup between Savannah Evans, who had uh, Tasha Steeles in her corner, going against Jordan Grace, who is the knockouts champion. Jordan Grace would win the match by pinfall when she was able to hit the muscle buster on Savannah Evans for the win. 
Solid match between both of these ladies. These are two of the bigger ladies in the knockouts division. Jordan Grace meaning being like a fit, strong, capable woman with Savannah being the taller, still uh, being able to lift more than some of the other knockouts in the division. So this was a good match between both of the two ladies. After this, we have the Impact Tag Title matchup. Vincent and PCO, who came out with Honor No More, going against the Good Brothers, who came out with James Storm. The Good Brothers would win the match by pinfall when Vincent would go up for the Swanton, but Miss and Carl would then roll up Vincent and hold the tights to secure the win. After the match, Honor No More would attack the Good Brothers. James Storm would try to come in, but he will also get beat down. Uh... Chris Harris would run down to the ring and then you see Honor No More look at Chris Harris and start taunting him, asking him what's he going to do because Chris Harris can't really do much at this particular set of time. Then out walks out Heath. Heath has been out for the past couple weeks because Honor No More took him out by uh, beating on his leg with steel chair. So Heath comes out now. He's made his return and he walks into the ring and he has a pipe behind his back. And then he has another pipe, and he hands it to Chris Harris. So now Chris Harris has a pipe, Heath has a pipe, and now you see Honor No More rushing towards both Heath and Chris Harris, but they get beat up by both of them with the pipes. The Good Brothers and James Storm would get up, and now you would see Honor No More get beat down by everybody, and every member of Honor No More would uh, leave out of the ring, except for Matt Taven. Taven would turn around, and he would see that he's outnumbered by everybody, and he tries to tell them, okay... I'm about to leave the ring. And once he turns around, he sees James Storm and he gets super kicked by James Storm. So we then go and get a backstage statement with all these men. And Heath lets it be known that he's going to be their fourth man in their 10 man tag. Chris Harris says that he's going to be the fifth man. But James Storm looks at him and says no. And James Storm is still telling Chris Harris, remember, you made a promise to your wife and all that. And Chris Harris has to tell James that uh, he is in the best physical and mental shape that he's ever been in his life and that he says he has to do this. James looks at him and he agrees. So now we have America's Most Wanted, the Good Brothers, and Heath going against Honor No More at Against All Odds. After this, we have a matchup of Ace Austin, who had Chris Bay in his corner, going against Alex Zane. Ace Austin would win the match by pinfall when Alex Zane would hit a springboard moonsault on Ace Austin and Chris Bay on the outside of the ring. Zayn will throw Ace Austin back in the ring, and the referee will look at Ace to make sure he's okay. Zayn will try to slide back in the ring, but Chris Bay will hold his leg, and you will see Zayn try to kick Chris Bay off, and once he does, this allows Ace Austin to hit Zayn with the fold, which is a running blockbuster for the win. So Ace Austin now is picking up some momentum, uh, going into whatever they want to do with Ace Austin and the Bullet Club now in Impact Wrestling. Now it's time for the main event of Impact. We have Kazarian going against uh, Chris Saban, who had Alex Shelley in his corner. And this is the rematch from a couple weeks ago that Honor No More spoiled. We did not have Honor No More coming out here to spoil this. This was a legit one-on-one matchup between these two. And Chris Saban would win the match by pinfall when Saban would hit the clothesline from Hale, Michigan, which is basically a clothesline. That's it. And then hit the cradle shock. This is the second cradle shock that he would hit in the match that would end uh, Kazarian. These two had a good one-on-one matchup. They gave them about a good, what, 20 minutes in the ring for the main event of Impact. I implore you to watch it because Kazarian doesn't get that much time on AEW. And I like how AEW allowed Kazarian to come back to Impact to do this 
this little semi run that he's on right now. So I was glad to see that between uh, Kazarian and Chris Saban having this match with nobody uh, disturbing it. I actually enjoyed the match a lot. So that's your Impact Wrestling wrestling highlights of the week. Now it's time for SmackDown. As soon as SmackDown opens up, you see the men, money in the bank competitors in the ring on ladders. Every single one of them are on top of a ladder except for Omos because he's, well, seven foot and three inches and 400 and some odd pounds. So they don't have the specialty thick double ladder for him. But he's standing next to a ladder. Um, all of them are out here to talk about why they're going to win the Money in the Bank briefcase at Money in the Bank. Seth mentions that the best time for all of them to cash in, doesn't matter who wins, is going to be at SummerSlam when both Brock and Roman are beaten to smithereens, and that is the most best time for them to cash in. Riddle says that he hopes Roman wins the last man standing match at SummerSlam so he can cash in the Money in the Bank on him, and he will get revenge on Roman for what he did to Randy. Sammy has to interject and said that's not going to happen because the honorary oos, he's implying himself, is in the match, and Sammy says that he's going to win the money in the bank, and that contract will stay within the family, which he means the bloodline. Sheamus will say that he isn't worried because he's going to be the money in the bank winner, and if Roman wins at SummerSlam, it's going to be an easy cakewalk for him because he's already beaten Roman before when he cashed in his money in the bank on Roman years ago. He does mention, however, if Brock happens to win, that's going to be a different story because he's never won against Brock. Drew has to interject and says, well, he's beaten Brock in five minutes. Just like he's going to beat everybody tomorrow to win the money in the bank briefcase. Then out comes the Miz. Miz mentions that he should be in the money in the bank uh, ladder match because right now they haven't one more spot open. Then Ezekiel will come out. He will make his plea that he should be in the Money Bank ladder match because he was supposed to go against Kevin Owens, but Kevin Owens didn't make it because he uh, has some type of thing going on with him. So that match got scrapped. So he says that he should be in it. Then Happy Corbin will come out to make his plea why he should be in it. Then Mad Cat Moss will come out and say that he should get the final spot. Adam Pierce will come out and say that everybody's going to be in a battle royale right now to end all this. So we have a battle royale that has Drew McIntyre, Miz, Seth Rollins, Riddle, Corbin, Ezekiel, Sheamus, Omos, Madcap, Moss, and Sami Zayn. Happy Corbin would win the match when he eliminated both Sheamus and Drew McIntyre when Drew was trying to eliminate Sheamus. I believe it was the other way around. I think Sheamus was trying to eliminate Drew at the time, and then Corbin came in and just threw both men out of the ring. So it was a solid battle royale, and for me, the smartest person in that matchup technically was Seth Rollins, because there was a moment when Seth Rollins and Omos had a stare down, and Seth Rollins just looked at the briefcase, and then he looked back at Omos, and then he waved bye-bye to him, and then he just jumped out of the ring himself, because he was trying to preserve as much energy as he can going into Money in the Bank, which happens basically tonight, when you hear this on a Saturday. Uh, so... I like that spot that Seth did. He's proven that he is the master strategist. He is the architect. All these nicknames that he has given himself. After the match, you would see Madcap. You would hear Happy Corbin. You would see Miz. And you would see Ezekiel backstage later in the night. Talking about how they should be in the Money in the Bank ladder match. How they should be 
in that last spot, Adam Pierce will interrupt all four of these men and let them know that they will be participating in a fatal four-way matchup in the main event and that the winner will be getting that last spot going into Money in the Bank. So we have that to look forward to. After this, we had the New Day going against the Viking Raiders. Well, that was the match that was supposed to happen because the New Day would come out and they will talk about how they are the team that every time they come out here, they plan to give everybody a great time, how everybody is going to have a great time, and they're going to make people have smiles on their faces, you know, be the E in WWE, the entertainment. And that's what they did last week when they had Shanky dancing, and they were dancing, but the Viking Raiders had to ruin it and attack them from behind. So the New Day will say that the Viking Raiders are tired of being these lovable guys. They're now these new vicious versions of the Vikings, and that means it's time for the New Day to get dangerous. And that was a little Dartwing Duck reference that Xavier pulled out on SmackDown. So the Viking Raiders will come out, they get in the ring, they have a stare down with the New Day. Xavier would extend his hand out with the mic in front of Ivar so Ivar can grab it. And as soon as Ivar would reach for it, Xavier would drop the mic, showing disrespect to the Vikings. The Vikings doesn't like it. The Vikings have their shield in hand. They start beating on the New Day with their shields. Uh, the New Day would get beat down on. I mean, again, the New Days take a beating better than anybody else because, again, they got the sympathy vote from Everybody that's been watching WWE, you get the sympathy vote from the kids, you get the sympathy vote from the guys that like the New Day for being entertaining. I mean, they have been around enough that if you see the New Day's act, you will like them off top. So when you see them get beat up on, you feel empathy for them. So the Viking Ridge will hit Kofi with a high uh, double elevated power bomb, and they will stack Xavier right beside him. So again, this leaves the visual of the Viking Raiders leaving New Day on the mat. So again, I again, I have to say, I have no problem with uh, them using the New Day to give Viking Raiders this new edge. Because again, the New Day are the only tag team, I believe, at this significance that will give uh, Viking Raiders or any tag team any type of credibility because the New Day has entered that higher echelon peak in tag team wrestling for WWE where if you're in the program with them, you're going to come out better than you were beforehand. After this, we had a six-woman tag matchup. You had Asuka, Liv Morgan, and Alexa Bliss going against Raquel Rodriguez, Shotzi, and Lacey Evans. Becky Lynch was on commentary for this matchup. Liv Morgan would win the match for her team by pinfall when Liv would hit the oblivion on Shotzi for the win. After the match, you had Asuka, Liv, and Alexa in the ring celebrating and Becky would sneak into the ring and grab Asuka, turn her around, and hit the manhandle slam on her, then leave the ring. Becky sees Asuka as the biggest threat in this Money in the Bank ladder match that they're going to be participating in. So I see Becky trying to eliminate Asuka quickly. So you can see, more or less, that's probably going to happen at Money in the Bank. But this gives Liv team, and more importantly, Liv some uh, added momentum going into the Money in the Bank ladder match. After this, we will have a in-ring ask-them-anything segment between the Usos and the Street Profits. Personally, I liked how the segment was done. This played into uh, everybody wondering what's basically going to happen of the what-ifs. There was a question asked of the Usos asking, are they fearing what will happen to them if they happen to lose the tag titles to the Street Profits? And the Street Profits got asked a question about them not 
liking one another recently because there's been backstage reports of the Street Profits not really getting along with each other. The Street Profits pay that no mind. The Usos paid no mind to them possibly losing the titles to the Street Profits, but those do add some uh, credibility or some type of leniency into where the story could go because if the Usos do lose at Money in the Bank, we're going to see a real, real furious Roman Reigns because Roman hasn't been on the build-up to Money in the Bank. He's been really uh, relaxing at home, probably doing some other type of project or something. He hasn't been around. So we can expect Roman Reigns being around either on Raw or SmackDown after Money in the Bank because we got to build up to SummerSlam with him and Brock. So this is going to give some credence if the Usos do lose. And if the Street Profits lose to the Usos, well, we already added the nugget of people hearing about those two not liking one another and they not really paying attention to it, saying that they're brothers, they ride or die and all this type of stuff. But we know in WWE and wrestling, Rider dies aren't always the case. There's always going to be somebody backstabbing them. The only team that has never backstabbed so far right now is the New Day. They are really a band of three brothers just sticking together. So unless they do that with the Street Profits, which I don't see that happening. I hope they do, but just in case they don't, they already added the breadcrumbs for that. Uh, this will lead to, towards the end of the segment, you see the Usos and the Street Profits get up close to one another and trade slogans with the Usos saying that they want the smoke and the Street Profits proclaiming that when they take the titles away from the Usos at Money in the Bank, the Usos will be the two and the Street Profits will be the ones and they'll put their fingers in the air. I implore you, please go to YouTube and watch that segment. It's highly entertaining and it sets up for their matchup at Money in the Bank. After this, we had Max Dupree introducing his maximum male models that he was supposed to do introduce Two weeks ago, and then last week, but he will always come up with some excuse about how the lighting wasn't right or the backstage uh, services wasn't right. This week, everything was set up perfectly, so we get uh, two members being introduced from his uh, Maximum Male Models. He will introduce, uh, formerly known as Mace from Retribution, his new name is now Marseille, and that's just basically a higher Frenchier style name to say Mace, and he would then introduce Mansoor. Well, his new name is now Mansoir. So again, we are introducing Mace and Mansoor as Marseille and Mansoir. So this is funny. The crowd poo pooed on this whole entire thing. Is basically them coming out, acting like they're models on a runway, just showing their stuff off. And the funny part about it is that if you were to put these two guys literally on a runway or something, they actually could be like legit runway models. So that's the whole funny part. They actually did pick out two good wrestlers that actually could fit this character of what they're doing for Max Dupree and his whole maximum male models. But again, the fans were booing the devil out of this thing. And you should have heard Pat McAfee. He was loving this whole whole bit and Pat McAfee was really selling it and I enjoyed it because you want to know why Pat McAfee was literally the guy that you need to really sell your product for you and Pat McAfee can do that for this whole situation if they continue Max male models in which they're going to because they said next week is supposed to be them introducing uh summer line that's going to be funny to hear how the audience reacts to that I just want to hear Pat McAfee just constantly react to the maximum male models and Max Dupree and his whole ensemble of cast 
constantly be introduced. It's it's great. After this, we had the main event, the Fatal 4-Way matchup. Uh, Miz going against Happy Corbin, going against Madcap Moss, going against Ezekiel. Winner gets into the Money in the Bank matchup. Madcap would win the match by pinfall when Corbin would hit the end of days on Ezekiel. And he would go for the pin, but Madcap would get in the ring, grab Corbin, shove his shoulder into the ring post, and then Madcap would cover Ezekiel for the win. So Madcap has been added into the Money in the Bank matchup. Again, Money in the Bank, this episode, uh, well, the SmackDown this episode was basically built to go into Money in the Bank, which is happening tonight. I enjoyed SmackDown. I enjoyed a lot. The Maximum Male Models a bit is on YouTube. Trust me, you can see it. It's stupid. That's the reason why I enjoyed it a lot. But again, that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, AEW Rampage. Uh, just one thing to note on this. During Rampage, there was a video playing of Jonathan Gresham. He talked about how next week it will be himself and Lee Moriarty going against Tully Blanchard uh, Enterprise's team of Gates of Agony in a tag matchup. And also, Jonathan Gresham mentions how there's two guys on this roster that have been walking around proclaiming they are the best in the world, and they played highlight clips of saying, you know who they are. He doesn't say their names, but they play Claudio Castagnoli and Brian Danielson. So it's telling me that John DeGresham is more or less going to have a feud with Brian Danielson and, John, and uh, Claudio somewhere down the, down the line. Not now, but just somewhere down the line after he's done taking care of Tully Blanchard's group. So I can't wait to see that. And more or less, when CM Punk probably comes back from his injured uh, uh, stint, we're probably going to get Jonathan going against Punk as well because he, CM Punk was the guy that kind of marketed the whole best in the world in the 2010s. So it's going to be great to see those matches come about when it happens. But anyway, getting on to Rampage. Rampage, when we first start off, we had the inaugural 20-man Royal Rampage Battle Royal. Is basically, they still have the two rings set up from Blood and Guts, and you have a Battle Royal in both uh, rings, but only 10 competitors in each ring, and the only time the competitors will come out is during one minute or 30 second intervals, so one ring will get 10 uh, competitors, but one person will come out at a time, and once uh, ring red, because they need one ring red and one ring blue, once it was down to one competitor in ring red and one competitor in ring blue, they'll meet together and one of the... I, one of the two either rings, it doesn't matter, and they would basically continue the battle royal until one of the competitors threw out the other one, and that's the winner. Brody King would win the match when he ends up eliminating Darby Allen, and he would do this by locking Darby Allen in a sleeper hold when he's on the ring apron, basically dragging Darby's body over the ropes and then dangling Darby's body over the floor and then dropping an unconscious Darby Allen on the floor to win the match. So Brody King is going to be facing John Moxley on Dynamite for the interim AEW World Championship. After this, we have the AEW World Tag Team Champions, the Young Bucks, going against Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi. Uh, the Young Bucks would win the match when they hit the BTE trigger on Yoshihashi. Then Matt told Nick to go get Hiroki Goto, who was in the other ring. So Nick would springboard from one ring to the other ring and then hit him with a crossbody. Nick would then springboard back to the previous ring and then the Young Bucks would hit Yoshi with the Meltzer driver for the win. This was a Young Bucks matchup. Yeah, they let uh, Goto and Yoshihashi get some offense off, but this was a Young Bucks matchup. Let's not get it twisted. They were the stars of this. And then in the main event of Rampage, we had Tony Storm going against Nyla Rose who had Marina Shafir in her corner. 
Tony would beat Nyla by pinfall when Tony would hit a high elevated DDT on Nyla for the win, or better known as a Mick DDT. Um, after the match, Marina Shafir would get in the ring and attack Tony Storm, and then Nyla Rose would join on the beatdown until Thunder Rosa came out to even the odds two and two. Uh, Tony and Rosa would eliminate Nyla and Marina Shafir out of the ring, and then it came down to Thunder and Tony in the ring. They stared at one another. They shook hands. They were happy, and then um, that's how Rampage went off. So we're going to see Thunder Rosa going against uh, Tony Storm somewhere down the line. Again, their match at Forbidden Door was only a one-off for right now. I said it was going to build up to something because we were not just going to leave it there. So, again, we're going to build up into a one-on-one matchup or some type of feud down the line with uh, Tony Storm and uh, Thunder Rosa. Now, on to the Money in the Bank predictions. Uh, first matchup is the Raw Women's Championship. Bianca Belair going against Carmella. If we do not get the Bailey swerve of Bailey popping in and eliminating Carmella the same way that they did with Becky Lynch, uh, last year when uh, Bianca Belair at SummerSlam, I see Bianca winning against Carmella. Plain and simple. Um, the Money in the Bank for the men, uh, there's Seth Rollins, Drew McIntyre, Sheamus, Omos, Sami Zayn, Riddle, Madcap Moss. Uh, you know what? I see Seth winning it because, again, Drew McIntyre, he already gets his championship opportunity at the uh, Wales show over there in October-ish. Sheamus, no. Omos, no. Sami Zayn, it would be fun to see them give Sami the briefcase so he can have it in the bloodline, and we're just going to wait on if he's ever just going to hand it over or he's going to keep it and try to weaselly keep it. Uh, Riddle, mm, it's kind of too pinned on the nose. I mean, maybe. Madcap, no. So, in reality, the only one person we can see it with Seth Rollins here, to be honest with you. Uh, the women's money in the bank ladder match. You got Lacey Evans, Alexa Bliss, Liv Morgan, Raquel Rodriguez, uh, Oscar, Shotzi, and Becky Lynch. I see Liv Morgan winning this. I don't see them going with Lacey Evans yet. I see they want to try to build her up more. Uh, Alexa Bliss, she's always a woman, a woman's uh, championship contender anytime they want to place her in that. Raquel Rodriguez, they can easily place her in. She doesn't need to win the money in the bank. Oscar, same thing. As Alexa Bliss, they could place her in there. Shotzi, she needs it if they want to go that route. Becky Lynch, main eventer. She doesn't need this. So, uh, Liv Morgan for me. She really needs this, and I think the fans were going to be eating it up when she wins it. Ronda Rousey going against Natalya for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Ronda Rousey because she just uh, beat Charlotte Ford at WrestleMania Backlash and what? That was, what, two months ago? So, I don't see her losing this yet. The Usos going against the Street Profits for the Unified Tag Titles. I'm going to say the Usos because the Usos are part of the bloodline. Roman is still Unified Champion. If they happen to lose against the Street Profits, I'm not mad at it because, personally, I like both teams. So, it doesn't matter to me who wins this matchup. I just know they're going to have a great match. Theory going against Bobby Lashley. I want to go with Bobby, but I find there's probably going to be some shenanigans to go around with Theory. So, I think Theory's going to win this. And we're going to probably lead to Theory being an obnoxious person. And we're just going to wait to see who's going to take the United States Championship off of him. And that is your Money in the Bank predictions.
Now, the sound that you just heard, that was the sound of John Cena. I'm pretty sure you guys know the sound. You guys know the trumpets. You guys know all that type of stuff. That's the John Cena that we all now know, the Hollywood guy. Me, as a <laughs> as a fan, I personally like this version of John Cena right here. So, you think you're untouchable? Word life. This is basic thugonomics. This is basic thugonomics. Word life. Doctor of Thugonomics Cena was something else. Doctor of Thugonomics was that Cena repackage that he had to do. John Cena has talked about it multiple times in all the interviews that he's talked about how he was close to being fired in 2002 because when he first came up and if you haven't realized it by now this is my john cena celebration talking about the man himself uh john cena came up in 2002 he was a regular just good guy he came up there where like shorts that will always match like the sports teams that he would be going to so if he went to boston he wear like some white with greens if he went to uh california with the lakers it would be some gold and purple I mean, he always wear those type of attire. It was always plain Jane. And John Cena talked about how he was close to being fired. And one day he was in the back freestyling. And somehow Stephanie McMahon uh, happened to hear him. And Stephanie said, why don't you do that on television? And then he did that at a uh, SmackDown uh, Halloween episode. And that's how the Doctor of Thugonomics was born. And then we got this uh, ruthless uh, version of John Cena. The guy that would just basically rhyme you to death. But he was corny in doing it but his corniness worked for him in wwe with the whole rhyming deal his whole freestyling situation was working he got the fans loving him he, at one point when he first started doing it the fans hated him i mean they absolutely hated him they weren't trying to hear it but then he started to work them over slowly and slowly and then they finally came and i for me people came over to John Cena whenever he went against the Big Show at WrestleMania 20, and Big Show, like, lost the United States title to John Cena. And then we had that whole year of John Cena being the man on SmackDown. You can start seeing from 2004 to 2005, John Cena was being groomed, and if you had the eyes now to look back then to see it, you'd be like, oh yeah, they're grooming him. But... Again, this is now the eyes of the future. Looking back at it, you can see through 2004 after WrestleMania 20, they were really grooming John Cena to be the guy in 2005. And then when he got there, he went against JBL at WrestleMania 21. He beat JBL for the WWE Championship. And then he became the man. He became uh, John Cena. And then he moved over to Raw. He became the guy. The guy to be waving the WWE flag for the next God, 16, 17 years, just the man. And I mean, boy, at one point, I did not like Cena. I didn't. I can admit that. I think a whole lot of wrestling fans, when they watch the product from especially, what, 2007 all the way to, what, 2015, you started to have fans turning sour on Cena. I didn't turn sour on Cena literally until, like, mm, Nexus came around. When that group, Nexus, came up and I wanted them to be the guys because you had a group that was unstoppable. And then, ta-da, Super Cena. That's, I believe, when everything got coined in 
the Super Cena phase when people start literally noticing what Cena was. He was the guy that was untouchable. He was the guy that if you put him in a rivalry with somebody, Cena was going to come out on top. At least as in our eyes as fans, we were like, oh boy, he's another one. Cena's going to beat with no type of like regard to anything. I mean, like, by God. We all thought that from that age after the new after the Nexus, we all thought that, and it would carry on for some time until he got into the feud with CM Punk. I believe that's whenever certain things started to turn around a little bit, at least because we all saw what Cena was able to do with CM Punk. Their match at Money in the Bank in 2011 is still highly regarded. People still love that match between those two. And then you start seeing Punk get high up and then Cena just constantly was like cool with it because if Cena wanted to be the champion, I'm pretty sure Cena could have nixed that and say, yo, give me back the belt or something. Because let's be honest, still Cena was the man. Punk might have beat him in uh, t-shirt sales, but let's not get twisted. Punk was still not the guy. Cena was the guy. And... Cena allowed Punk to run around with the WWE Championship. And people are going to say, how can you let him run around? Again, you got to remember, Cena was the man. And you could have easily said, nope. But he was cool with it. So, what did Cena do? He started to do other things. He moved on to going against The Rock at WrestleMania. He moved on to being against Brock Lesnar when he came back. And then he started trying to do other things. He worked with other talent. He worked with... um, Big Show, he had Big Show inclined whenever he cashed in the Money in the Bank on CM Punk at Raw 1000. I mean, it was a lot of things that Punk and Cena did during that time when Punk was trying to become the guy Cena was allowing it to. And then we got into Cena hurting his arm, but then he uh, comes back, and what happens? He's in a triple threat with Punk and Ryback, and that's when the Shield comes in, and then we get... All this type of stuff. Cena would ultimately win back the championship at uh, WrestleMania 29. And then he goes to have different feuds with other people. He ends up feuding with Daniel Bryan, giving Daniel Bryan his first WWE championship win at SummerSlam. Which, by the way, if you don't remember that SummerSlam buildup for Bryan and Cena, especially the Raw before the SummerSlam, I implore you, please watch it. That was whenever Daniel Bryan was telling Cena, you are a joke you are what wrestlers think of when they think of a joke you're the guy and that whole segment between Cena and Brian was fire and it's still up there on YouTube now I would implore you please watch that too I mean Cena is the guy Cena was the guy that you could just put on if you want to have that next level type thing you did that you what did we do when AJ came in Yes, we had him with Roman Reigns, but we wanted to see AJ versus John Cena whenever AJ came in. And we got to see that literally. What? Money in the Bank. We got to see that at SummerSlam. And both times, AJ won. He won at Money in the Bank. He won at SummerSlam. I think Cena only beat AJ once, and that was for the WWE Championship, what, in 2017? And that was to tie up his record with... uh, Ric Flair, the 16-time championships. And that's the thing. Cena was cool. Cena was able to do other things. I believe people are starting to now uh, hold Cena in high reverence for his 2015 run with the United States Championship whenever he... What, was it 2015? Yeah, it was 2015. He was the United States. 
he started on that run with the United States Open Challenge. He started to open it up to anybody. That's whenever you got to see him have great matches with uh, Cesaro, with Dolph Ziggler, with Xavier Woods, with the Big E's, with all these other guys. And I believe even WWE has a, like a playlist on their YouTube thing. And I promise you, this isn't an ad. This is just me just listing off things that's just rapidly going to my head about the man John Cena in the ring. John Cena has been the standard bearer for WWE for legitimately... I'm not even going to say 20 years because I don't count his beginning years. I'll say since, what, 2005 to now. So that is literally, what, 17 years. He's been the standard for WWE. He's been the guy waving the flag. He's been the guy. When you think of WWE, you think of John Cena. He's been that guy. And he's been doing press. He's done Hollywood. He's been doing all this type of stuff. And you know what? Cena, I, I respect the man. Cena. I respect him a lot because outside of WWE, he became the first person ever to grant over 300 Make-A-Wishes. As a matter of fact, he has the most Make-A-Wishes ever in Make-A-Wish, and that's over 650 wishes. John Cena is literally the most wished person on the whole Make-A-Wish foundation situation. And that's a lot when you think about it, because I want you to think about something. We all know what Make-A-Wish is. So for people that don't know, Make-A-Wish is literally a child asking for their last wish because they don't... Make-A-Wish is usually a kid not going to see very long and not going to have a long time on this planet. Um, And they make a wish and the foundation tries to grant that last wish. It could be whatever they want. If they they could want to be the mayor for a day, they can do that. I think a kid wanted to be a Batman and they had a whole thing set up for a kid to be Batman. They start a crime. And I mean, it's on YouTube. It was on the news and everything. John Cena has been a dying kid's wish over 650 times. I want you to understand it. Over 650 times, John Cena had to see a dying kid and he had to be Cena. He had to be himself. He had to be their superhero, the guy that they wanted to see. It doesn't matter whether he was having a bad day, he was injured, he was all these other things, these emotions that regular human beings feel in their lives from day to day. John Cena had to suck it up, put it away in a box, and look at a child and be their superhero, be their star. And I mean, that is a lot of pressure when you think about it, seriously. And Cena has talked about it before that, you know, he's gotten letters from parents whose kids are no longer here. And they talk about in the letters how John Cena's being around their kid for that moment. It gave their kids something and it was something for them to constantly talk about until the end. And then it was it's something for you to constantly get those letters from parents. It does something to your soul. And I. And I commend John on that, for real. Because a regular person, I don't know how many times they would be able to read those letters and be like, oh my God, here's another one. And here's another one. That does something to your spirit. That does something to you as a human. So I believe John when he said on Raw that WWE has made him a better person. I believe him on that completely. Because being a WWE superstar, being the Make-A-Wish guy, being the face for WWE, you have to change. You do change. And John Cena, he's changed, and he's he's a great guy. If people don't like him for his wrestling stuff, you got to respect the man outside of the wrestling. You got to respect him for what he does for the children. You got to respect that. 
I don't care who you are. If you don't respect that, you're a piece of garbage to me. I'm just going to be honest to you. You're a piece of garbage because you can't see over 650 dying kids and, and be not the hero. I don't care who you are. You have to be what they think you are. You have to be the guy that they see on television, see the constantly to never give up, constantly preaching, motivational speak, and you try to give them something for them to clinch and hold on to. That's what Cena has done. Cena is still the standard bearer for WWE. He he came back last year, money in the bank after Roman, and the fans were cheering for him. That was one of the biggest crowd like yells I've heard on screen in a long time for WWE. And every time he comes back now, the fans are loving him. There's no more let's go Cena. Cena sucks chance the way that it was in 2005 all the way to until he left for Hollywood. No, it's all let's go Cena or one more match from Cena. Because guess what? The fans miss Cena. They love Cena. And guess what? They cherish Cena now. And I guarantee you, whenever it's all said and done, and Cena actually, when he does put his sneakers away, because it's no longer wrestling boots. He hasn't worn wrestling boots in almost two decades. When he puts his shoes away and decides to hang them up, he will literally be the greatest WWE superstar. He will beat Hogan. He will beat Andre. He will beat The Undertaker. He will literally stand on top of WWE's mountain and be the guy for WWE. He will be the flag bearer. He will be the legit standard for WWE superstars or any type of superstar that wants to go into WWE to say, hey, yo, this is your standard. You got to try to meet up the John Cena standard. A lot of people ain't going to do it, but you at least got to try. You got to aim for that. And if you don't, I don't know what you're doing in WWE. I don't. I believe that when Cena is all said and done, that's going to be the legit golden bar, the guy for anybody that wants to go to WWE. And I believe that wholeheartedly. So again, I appreciate John Cena. I didn't like him for a good bit, but uh, he turned me around uh, in 2015 when he started doing the matches and then you start seeing him doing the Make-A-Wish and he started publicizing it. That turned me around. I was like, well, Cena's the guy. He's he's a good guy and all this type of stuff. So, amen. Again, congratulations to John Cena for 20 years in WWE. That's a pretty big feat. Next, we're going to be celebrating Randy Orton and next we're going to be celebrating uh, Rey Mysterio because they're 20 years in, about to be in WWE next. So, I mean, God, my childhood is literally passing through my eyes as I constantly watch the product. Jesus. But again, congratulations to John Cena being in WWE for 20 years. It was a uh, it was great to see you pop in going against Angle when you first came in, and it was great to see you pop in last year to go against Roman. So again, if you want to watch John Cena's uh, stuff, you can go to the Peacock app and go to WWE. You can go to YouTube and find his stuff. I would suggest if you just want to find quick promos of him just rapping of old school John Cena 2003, 4, 5-ish, you can go to YouTube the most quickest way and do that. But um, again, congrats to John Cena. Now, with that all being said, I hope you guys have a great Saturday. Uh, tonight's Money in the Bank. Remember, it's on Peacock. These are not ads. I am a wrestling fan and I want people to watch the product. I will be giving you my review on that tomorrow, Sunday. So Sunday, we'll be getting two episodes. You'll be getting my Sunday episode with the news and the Money in the Bank uh, review to that. But anyway, I hope you guys have a great Saturday. Please have a good 4th of July weekend. And I will speak to you guys 
uh, Saturday. But if you do listen to the Sunday episode, you'll hear me then. And if you listen to the Money in the Bank review, you'll hear me then. And if not, it'll be listened to me Saturday. With that, I love you guys. I hope you guys have a great Saturday. And with that, Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.